The most ghoulish of greetings to every single one of you. Those tunes, of course, are courtesy of country legend Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Before we jump, hop, skiv, or dive right into this episode, my baby sister started one several weeks ago, and I'm totally slacking, as I meant to mention this a lot earlier. It's a podcast all about her neat traveling adventure. She talks about the history, her experiences, and when possible, a mythical or legendary creature. I've been on it three times already, and it's fun for sure. Check it out. It's Random Venture of an Indie Traveler. Casey, you've actually heard from her before on my own podcast. She's been on a couple times herself. She will take you on a journey with her to these awesome places. The Wendigo, also known as a spirit of the lonely places, it's an evil, cannibalistic spirit that takes full possession of the human body, making a person literally a prisoner in their own body. It's believed to haunt the northern indigenous tribes of North America. It's a beast that lives alone usually in the northern forest. According to legend, a human being is always trapped inside a wendigo, hence the reason it is indeed a wendigo. Sadly, the person cannot move or free themselves. For anyone else to give them a shimmer of hope and save them, they would have to kill the wendigo. And there is no cure once one transforms into a wendigo, so it also kills the person that's trapped inside. And that's no easy feat. The wendigo is notoriously hard to kill. Ways people have been successful at slaying the deadly creature is by the use of silver, steel, or iron. One gruesome way is when you shatter the wendigo's heart with the silver stake. And dismember the body with a silver axe. It's believed that if a person has consumed the flesh of a fellow human being, even if it's due to starvation and food has run out, and they don't want to, but they have to to live, they are putting themselves in direct danger of becoming fully possessed. People close to the victim start to see changes in not only their mannerisms and attitudes, but a physical transformation of something truly disturbing, such as massive growth, hairiness, among other things. But the most terrifying will have to be the self-consumption, usually starting with the lips and the hands. Wendigo translates to evil spirit that devours mankind. Depending where you are from, the beliefs and description may be different. For the Algonquin people, the Wendigo is a giant with a heart of ice. Sometimes the entirety of the creature itself is made of ice. The body is skeletal, usually with deformed missing lips and toes, probably from the self-consumption. And for the Ojibwa, it's a creature that stands as tall as a tree. It has a lipless mouth complemented with the most jagged of teeth, perfect for tearing into and ripping off human flesh. It breathes loudly, and hissing sounds comes from it. It leaves behind large footprints, often filled with blood, and will eagerly eat any man, woman, 
child or baby that ventures into its deadly territory. Those who are eaten alive, believe it or not, are the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo will choose some unlucky soul to possess a person, which will then turn that person into a Wendigo themselves. They then will begin to hunt for those he or she once loved. Mother, father, siblings, husband, wife, they don't see them as that anymore. And they feast upon their flesh. It's truly disturbing. And this part is kind of similar to Alaska's Kushtaka. That's what makes me think of the Kushtaka. And the fact that the Wendigo and Kushtaka, they both will kill and devour its victim, but also have the option to possess them, bring them into their bizarre, eerie, and kind of screwed up, not-so-family tree. To become a Wendigo or a Kushtaka? Hmm, no thank you. I'm a meat eater, but there are certain meats I won't eat. Veal? Veal's definitely one of them. Won't try veal. Oh yeah, and humans, mm-mm, won't try that either. A big fat no. Anyways, the Native Americans, their creature is described as around 15 feet tall. It's a gigantic spirit. It was once human, but then transformed into a creature by using magic. It has intense glowing eyes, long yellow fangs protruding from its crude, disgusting, rancid mouth. Accompanied by an overly long tongue, some of the Wendigo have matted fur while others have a yellowish sort of putrefying skin. It's a deadly and accurate hunter. Some even believe that it has control over the weather through the usage of dark magic. While some people may laugh and call bullshit, to these people, all of these people, it was no laughing manner or some silly legend. It meant life and death for these tribes. They would perform rituals. They would bring in medicine men, shamans, spiritualists, and others to ward off the beasts, or at times, stopping someone from becoming a Wendigo. In many cases, before the sighting of a Wendigo would happen, the air would be overpowered with a strong stench of that of decay. It would then be seen, then shortly after, a death would occur. Now, this kind of reminds me of the Banshee, some considering it a signal of death to come. When someone started to transform into that of a Wendigo, that poor soul would have sleep deprivation, which would be caused by tormenting and quite torturous nightmares. A disgusting stench would overcome their nostrils and no one else would smell the phantom smell but the transforming Wendigo. And believe you me, I've had phantom smells before. I even had an episode all about phantom smells. It just, whoo whoo, sometimes it's just like overwhelmingly intense. And I'm sure a lot of you have had that too. Never had one of the smell of death, thank God. But it is always frustrating when you smell something where you feel like it would be stinking up the whole neighborhood and only you're the one smelling it. People will literally walk right up to you, smell around, go, no, I don't smell what you're smelling. So feel their pain for sure. It is said that their legs and feet will start to feel like they're burning up, kind of like a burning sensation at first, but then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until they can't take it anymore. And they run into the woods like a madman or woman. 
The late Basil Johnson, a Canadian storyteller, a teacher, and a scholar, wrote this interesting piece in regards to the much-feared Wendigo, painting quite the eerie and, dare I say, ugly picture. Quote, The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tautly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion, the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed deep into their sockets. The Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton, recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean and suffering from superations of the flesh, giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition, of death and corruption." Unquote. What a neat piece. As I was reading this, I really was kind of getting a mental picture in my head of this mysterious and deadly creature. A great storyteller, obviously, who sadly passed away in 2015, but he remains a beloved member of Ontario. The man, he sits there, deep in his thoughts. One walking by who is not familiar with him would think he's an elderly man just sitting and resting, maybe a little frail and fragile. <laughs> if only they knew. The man, he looks up, his eyes so full of life. In his 87 years of life, he has seen so much, conquered so much. He's been face to face with pure evil death itself several times age is but a number that won't stop him 87 get out of here suddenly a voice interrupts his thoughts jack the man jack looks at the child yes my boy the boy trembles and quivers and shakes a single tear forms and goes swiftly down his cheek and hitting the hard ground below the words escape his tiny lips it has come it's back jack Jack is suddenly back into reality and out of his mind, his thoughts. He quickly stands and gently grabs the boy's small hand. Take me now. Enter Jack Fiddler, also known as, and forgive me as I'm about to butcher the bloody hell out of this name, Zawanu Gizaigo Gabo, meaning he who stands in the southern sky. Jack was a Cree Indian who belonged to the sucker people of Sandy Lake. He was a man of many trades and talents, one of them being a shaman, just like his father. He was a headman of his people and was known for his healing abilities and power to fight enemies and evil spirits. And it was not rare for people, such as my imaginary little boy, to approach him and ask him to help, that a wendigo was close by. At times, someone would even come up to him and let him know that one of their own family members had become possessed by a wendigo, or sometimes would ask the fiddler to kill them as they feared they themselves were possessed. This was a brave act, as this meant a death sentence. Jack Fiddler he hated the Wendigo, and guess what? The Wendigo hated him, too. Feeling totally mutual. He despised the Wendigo, and vice versa. Mm -hmm. He happily took on the challenge in his old age to take down the fatal beast. His brother, Joseph Pesaquan, also helped. They lost their brother, Peter, from a Wendigo. 
Peter Flett was on a trading expedition when they ran out of food and had to consort to cannibalism. This made him an easy target for the Wendigo to possess his body. Jack and Joseph, they were amazing Wendigo hunters. Searching and hunting down cannibalistic killers, they have at least 14 Wendigo deaths, and possibly even more. Their last Wendigo kill, a woman named Wasaka Piqua, believed to be Joseph's daughter-in-law, was their undoing. In 1907, word about the deaths were spreading like wildfire and caught the interest of the Northwest Mounted Police. And in their investigation, they found that Wasaka Piqua was choked to death by Jack and Joseph with a piece of string. And they swear that she was possessed by an evil creature. Jack claims that she was on the verge of transforming entirely into a Wendigo. And she had to be killed before she murdered and ate other members of the Cree tribe. They were soon apprehended, and during their trial, a witness named Angus Ray testified that Wasaka Piqua was killed while in deep pain and was incurably sick. Angus also admits that it is a belief among his people, that being the Wendigo, and how their people would often come to the brothers and ask them to euthanize the very ill and, in this poor woman's case, the incurable to prevent Wendigos. The Wendigo slaying brothers were charged with murder. Fifteen weeks into captivity, 87-year-old Jack Fiddler escapes the Norway house in Manitoba, ties a slipknot in his sash, and with that he commits suicide by hanging himself from a tree. Joseph, who had no legal representation whatsoever, was immediately found guilty and was handed a death sentence, execution by hanging. In the police statement, he says this, I did not know what I was doing was wrong, and if I had known, I would not have done the deed. Unquote. He died due to an illness before he could be executed. The first known case comes from a warrior who made a pact with the devil. He was desperate to victoriously beat his enemies in a deadly battle. To become the leader and win the battle, he offers his soul on a sinfully delicious platter for Diablo. The warrior soon has that sweet taste of victory in his mouth. Oh yeah, baby. Just right. Well, soon after, he starts to transform into something he once was not. His tribe, terrified, banishes him, and he finds himself living in the forest. It's cold. He's hungry. He's all alone. To survive, the man turned Wendigo starts to feast on human flesh. There's a Wendigo spirit story that takes us back 101 years, the year 1920. A doctor moves his family to Fort Kent and sets up his home practice there. He was quite successful too. People loved him. He was friendly. They trusted him. Everything was peachy keen. Until a gang of rats came into town. And during this notorious rat raid, the pests brought some unwanted luggage, deadly luggage, a plague of smallpox. The doctor was busier than ever. And not in a good way. I mean, it was horrible because he knew whatever he did for these people 
that they were going to die. His patients were going to die. The doc's worst nightmare comes true when his wife gets sick. She contracts the plague and she soon dies. He kind of lost it when this happened. He was alone. He was distraught. He was in shock, utterly devastated. Doc locks himself in his house, refuses his services to anyone, closes up shop. Instead of calling someone to take his wife's body away and prepare for burial services like most of us would, he keeps her death a secret. For all the people know, he just closed down business because he knew he couldn't help the people anymore who had the plague, and he was sick of the body count piling up in his home. But it was something far more sinister. He builds a shrine around his wife's lifeless body. Soon the doctor was feeling confident to open up shop and he slowly lets people in one by one, except he wasn't offering help. He would kill the person, then eat them, wait a while, repeat, kill, eat, wait, kill, eat, wait. After killing several people, the number is unknown. The doctor makes a run for it as people are aware of the several sudden disappearances. Like, what the hell's going on? Where are these people? It's like, okay, one person disappears, that sucks. But, you know, that happens. But all of a sudden, all these people, no, there's something way more to it. Of course, they're going to think the town's eccentric weirdo did it. He leaves his possessions behind, including his most favorite, his eerie shrine that involves the corpse of his wife. He ran off into the woods and he was never seen again. The people of Fort Kent, though, say that they can still hear him screeching with laughter at night coming from the woods. There's one story known as the Red Tail and the Wendigo. It goes something like this. Throughout the camp, depression was taking over its people. The skies, they were ominous, very dark and gloomy. A terrifying presence was taking over the atmosphere. The winds, they were whipping and howling. The people just knew in their heart of hearts that the Wendigo was nearby. Was it a loved one, a passerby, a stranger? Who was it? They started to pray and do rituals to try to keep the deadly Wendigo at bay. The feeling was not subsiding, though. Terror was in the air, thick with fear. And you've probably felt that before. I've had that where, you know, you just... You can't put your finger on it, but you know something's wrong. Something's not right. Or some, you know, like a premonition. Something's going to happen. Something is absolutely not right here. An outcast who was somewhat of a loner, he kept to himself. He had no wife, no children, no family, not really any friends even. He tells the higher-ups that, hey, I can defeat the Wendigo. If only I can have access to some of the offerings from the medicine men. Oh, well, you know what? The loner, he's laughed at. He's made into a joke. They laugh at him. He's mocked. He's confused for he's only trying to help, putting his life in the line to do so. The things they were doing was not improving the situation whatsoever. So after a while, they eventually gave in and approached the loner, known as Redtail, and they gave him their offerings, as he suggested a while back. Redtail defeats the Wendigo by smoking a sacred pipe, which gave him the power to overtake and defeat the creature. Soon after the corpse of the beast was found floating face down in the water, Redtail performs a ritual in a shaking tent. 
which causes the Wendigo's body to disappear. The Shaking Tent Rite was used by several tribes throughout Canada. Usually a shaman would construct the tent, then enter it at nighttime. Drumming and singing would summon the shaman's spirit helpers. The shaman knew when the spirit helpers arrived due to the sounds of animals wailing and crying, and the tent would suddenly start to shake uncontrollably. It was used for many purposes, not only rituals involving the banishing of the Wendigo, but also for curing illnesses and sorcery. The people were grateful to Redtail. They regretted mocking him and laughing at him, for it's because of him that they no longer lived in fear and terror. To show him their gratitude, they gave him their respect and the village's most beautiful women. For several years, in a town called Rosessu, nestled in northern Minnesota, right near the Canadian border, there were several sightings of a Wendigo. Starting in the late 1800s up until the 1920s, every time it was reported to be seen, a death followed immediately afterwards, like the Banshee. In this case, the belief was that it went unseen for all those years, only to show itself when it wanted, due to the fact it was so thin that the only way someone would or could see it was if they came face to face with this particular Wendigo, meaning it could not be detected from its side. Besides the deaths, many forest dwellers have disappeared from that area. One notorious incident took place in 1878. A man named Swift Runner, yes, that was his actual name, he was a Cree native in the settlement of Fort Saskatchewan. He was a family man who adored his wife and children. He was loved. He was trusted. He was a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police. Not everyone thought he was an outstanding dude. One policeman actually said, quote, He's as ugly and evil looking a face as I have ever seen. Soon, the well-liked and trusted, by most, swift runner lost his job due to excessive drinking. Depressed and feeling defeated, not being able to provide food and shelter for his family, he, along with his wife and kids, venture off into the forest. Some time goes by and he comes back into town. He's alone. His family is nowhere in sight. Swift, when questioned about his family's whereabouts, comes up with a wild tell. He claims that while in the forest, the family, they run out of food. And they were all starving. His wife, she commits suicide. His five children starved to death. He barely made it out alive. Well, the police know he's bluffing. Swift Runner, he's a man over 200 pounds. He did not look like he was starving in any shape or form. They interrogate him. And he soon confesses his crime of cannibalism and murder. He claims that he was possessed by evil dark forces, which forced him to kill and eat his family. When people went to his house to investigate, it was like, I imagine how the investigators felt walking into Ed Gein's house of horrors. Blood, it was everywhere. Body parts littered the floor. Half-eaten corpses were strewn about. He was executed via hanging and buried far away. Far, far away. The Cree people feared that his corpse would actually come back because the Wendigo was still within him hence being buried far away. Sightings continue to this day, especially in Kenora in Canada. 
traders and trackers still search the land for the evil spirit, the Wendigo. In fact, Kenora has been named by many people as the Wendigo capital of the world. So, next time you're out for a walk, enjoying the day and see a friendly, familiar face... It might not be who you think it is. It may be the Wendigo hiding, waiting to make its move. <laughs> Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No reason to cry. You can binge listen right now by hitting up any of the podcast platforms such as Player FM, Overcast, Castbox, Pocket Cast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spectacular podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to Ann Arbor, Michigan, Lawrence, Kansas, Newton, Massachusetts, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, and Mexico City, Mexico. Thanks a million, folks. Throw a review my way. Let me know about it via paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com, and I'll send you one of my handmade yarn bracelets. Just throw a couple colors my way of what you like, and I'll make one right for you. And I'll do a shout-out on here. Speaking of shoutouts, here's another review. This is from Para Buddy. Quote, I just love your episodes. You are awesome, Tessa. You know, that just warms my heart. You're the awesome one. Thank you for the kind words. It absolutely means a bunch to me. So thank you guys for all listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>